0: Psalms 137, Psalms 137, as you turn there, go ahead and stand with me, verses 1 through 9, the entire chapter we're going to read, but it's a short chapter, Psalms 139, and boy, here's some reflection on a sad time for the people of Israel, really probably one of the saddest times in their history, 130, Psalms 137, verse 1, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept, when we remembered Zion, talk about a sad verse. Am I, am I turned on here, Pastor Adam? Or? All right. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down; yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, "Sing us one of the songs of Zion." How shall we sing in the Lord's song? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget the old Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. Would you read verse 1 aloud with me? By the rivers of Babylon there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Speak to our hearts tonight, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The sad reality of a captured Christian. The sad reality of a captured Christian. Talk about a sad story in this passage of Scripture. The people of Israel by the rivers of Babylon. Boy, God never intended them to be in the rivers of Babylon, did he? He had done so much for them. He had called Abram Abram, Abram, at the time out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees and had called him out and he had stepped out by faith and followed the Lord. Talk about an example. He would make of him a great and mighty nation as he followed the Lord. We think of the patriarchs that led up to their time in in Egypt and we know that God had given the prophecy 400 years. They would be there in bondage in Egypt. And just as God had prophesied, at the end of the 400 years, freedom came. God sent a man named Moses to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Of course, you know the story. Pharaoh's heart was hardened and God would send all of those plagues upon him to break his heart until finally they chased them out of Egypt, if you will, with the loot and all the things that came from Egypt only to get just a short ways out up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh to change his mind and pursue them. God would deliver them again and bring them through the Red Sea and drown Pharaoh's army behind him. He'd give them water out of the rock to to give them that in the wilderness. He'd feed them with manna and with quail in the wilderness. He would cause their clothes and their shoes not to wear out, but rather to grow with them. He'd give them victories in the wilderness. He would bring them to the Jordan River, where the first time they would doubt in faith, and one generation would refuse to cross over, and they would die in the wilderness. But the second generation would march forward in faith and conquer the promised land that God had given them. City by city by city. They would gain victory and victory after victory. And God would call himself a people out. And yet here we see them not in the promised land, but in captivity in Babylon. I think of what one writer said about it. God gave them the law, God, or God gave them the land, God gave them the law, and God gave them the Lord. Yet here is, now, but instead what they did is they took those things and they defiled the land, they denied the law, and they... they defied their savior their lord they turned from them all the land the law and the lord and now here they sit in captivity in babylon a conquered people once again talk about a sad story you know there's two stories cities mentioned here there's zion jerusalem a picture of god's city a place of blessing and freedom and there's babylon the word babylon literally means confusion a picture of the world God gives us one picture of the world and one picture of his city. And rather than his people being rejoicing in Zion and Jerusalem, they were in captivity in Babylon. Talk about sad. Have been given all that God had given them, and yet here they were in captivity in Babylon. Think of how the Lord calls us as Christians in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these, and these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. He calls us to walk in the spirit, to know the victory that he gave us at Calvary. I, I think of, I'm so thankful for Calvary and I'm thankful for an empty tomb. Amen. He won us a victory. He paid for our sin at Calvary and he showed it and he proved it at an empty tomb that no Christian would have to live in sin. <laughs> that we would not, we could still choose it, but we don't have to live there. He's given us freedom from it. I think of the call in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Boy, don't fall in love with things of this world. There's an example here. We see an Old Testament picture of a New Testament truth. As God's people who should be in living in living in freedom were captured again to, and, and servants of a country called Babylon. Well, what a sad thing when people given the incredible freedom through salvation choose to turn back and to go into sin. Well, the scriptures are full of those who have tried it, and this passage of scripture, we see some of the, the sad realities of it. Notice the first thing we see here the, the heartbreak of a captured, captured Christian. The heartbreak. Verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. Here's what happened to them. Jeremiah 25, verse 1. Go ahead and keep your finger here. Go to Jeremiah, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 25. And look at how the Lord just describes what happened to them and how they turned away here in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 1. It begins... The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Here's the time. Now skip down to verse 4. And the Lord has sent unto you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, nor inclined your ear to hear. That phrase, the Lord sent them early, would be used seven times in the book of Jeremiah. The Lord said, I sent someone with a message, I sent a prophet, I sent the word with a burden for the people, and yet he would find no man there to hear. I think of the reality in the Christian life, what gets us into trouble is when we refuse to hear from the word of God. When we fail to lift up its pages and read its pages or hear a teaching and preaching, and we see that they rejected it. Verse 5-9, through look at the consequences. Then said, Turn ye again now every one from his evil way, and from the evil of your doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord had given unto you, and to your fathers forever and ever. And go not after other gods to serve them and to worship them, and provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands. I will do you no hurt. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words. Behold, I will send send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, notice this phrase, my servant. And will bring them again into this land and against the inhabitants thereof and and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolation. Here it is. The Lord delivers them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and he refers to him as his servant. As his servant. You know, I, I think this, is, the reality is for us as Christians, you know, you can't get by with sin, can you? Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also what? Reap. By the way, that's, that's not Old Testament, that's New Testament, that's Galatians. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And God reminds us of, of the call to uh, the reaping, and we see this in the, New, in the Old Testament, as someone has gone back into their sin, Look at verse 10. Look at the consequences of sin in verse 10. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth, happiness, joy, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the sound of millstones and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Boy, they lost, they will, if you will, they lost that joy, didn't they? They lost the, earth. I, the heartbreak of a captured Christian is that sin will sooner or later break your heart. Sin will sooner or later break your heart. I, I think if there's something to remember as a young person is that all the promises of sin are really just a facade to a whole lot of heartbreak. It's just a shiny facade. And here we see in this passage of scripture people that they got caught up. They, they really where it all began is when they ceased to hear from God. They turned the volume knob down on what he had to say. They didn't show up when he spoke and they didn't hear from his word and they didn't hear from his, uh, the, the prophet that he would send to them. And as a result of that, they would continue and send to the place that God would say, now I'm taking your happiness from you, your joy from you. Sin steals joy. It'll steal. Anybody who's gone back into it has experienced in their life. Well, I think of David as he would enter into his sin with Bathsheba. And the misery, some of the Psalms would write, he would write of the misery he experienced as a result of his sin until he confessed it and forsook it at at Nathan's, as Nathan confronted him. Sin. It'll grieve the Holy Spirit and quench you of the love and the joy and the peace, the patience, all those things that God intended us to have in the Christian life. And you see here the heartbreak of it all. The heartbreak, the joy that it'll steal from your life, from those around you, as you choose to go into sin, and you know, the opposite is true, is that if you choose to walk in righteousness following the, the, the Spirit, you'll find that joy of the Lord. And it's not bound by a circumstance, it's bound to a person, the Holy Spirit of God. We see in this passage of Scripture the joy that they lost. The happiness that they lost, as a, the heartbreak they experienced. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8, it says, Have ye forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as the children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom after, who the Father chasteneth not? The Lord reminds us that he chastens his own. He won't let us get by with it. I was talking to our Sunday school teachers just about some just some of this this evening in our teachers meeting. But the reality of the truth of the matter is when you come to this place where you say, I know what the Bible says or what should be, but that's a bad place to be. It carries us out of the will of God. And God catches it, notices it. And joy will be one of the first things to go. The misery of being far from God. Here was a people that knew the misery of being far from God. Sitting by the rivers of Babylon rather than in the streets of Jerusalem. The misery they they experienced. Look, the memory of a captured Christian. Look at what he said here. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered what? Zion. He said we wept when we remembered Zion. And, And they could look back and they had seen all that God had done, they could see where they were, they could see what God used to do in their life, and that was gone. (laughs) I was thinking of Luke 24, the Lord, just after his crucifixion and resurrection, he would walk with some of those disciples, and it says in Luke 24, 27 through 35, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto a village whither he went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight, and they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told that what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. And he goes, they, they sat with the Lord, they sat with him at the table and as he began to break bread, they recognized exactly who he was and they would say in the heart, boy, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened up the word of God. You know, what it's like to have the word of God burn within you as God speaks to your heart from the pages of his word to have him work in your heart as a message is preached or a song is sung and a Sunday school lesson is taught as your heart is tender and open and clean and right with God. The way that God can stir and work in a heart that is clean and right before an almighty God. And then we allow sin. Open, unconfessed, unrepentant sin. Draw an eye to God and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye you sinners. Purify your hearts, ye you double-minded. Here was a people and they could look back with memory. Their hearts were miserable because they knew where they were at, the consequences of their sin. And they could look back and say, Look what God used to do, but where we are today because of our choices. Sin will do that. It will bring you to a place where it's, Look what God used to do. And not look what God is doing in my heart. Look what God is doing. I would rather be in a place where it's look what God has done. Let me share with you what he spoke to me in my heart. Let me talk to you about what he did for me in a message. Let me, let me talk to you about how when we sang the song, what God did in my heart. But instead, these folks were at a place of, wasn't it nice when we were in Zion? Wasn't that time of revival sweet? What happened? Well, we failed to hear from God. We denied. We defiled the land. We denied the law. We rejected our Lord. And here we sit in misery. Far from God. Sin will do that. The reality of a captured heart. I I think if your heart is close to the Lord, then... Friend, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Friend, if you are far, the reality of of this fact of sin, sin is destructive, and the place the destruction begins is your relationship with an almighty God. The physical consequences follow the spiritual. The, the reality is that before there is an outward confident con, a consequence, there is often an inward consequence. As God says, let me get your attention. I, do you not remember? Does the misery being felt as you have s- silenced that gift of the Holy Spirit, the one who brings the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, and all of those things in the life. And instead, you are filled with anxiety, anger, turmoil, because... We've allowed our life to be captured by sin. The misery that they knew. The misery. Not only the misery they knew, but but that as they came to this place, the memory they were looking backward because it was the past where it was the best. Not because of the pruning of God, but because of the chastening of God. They were away. We see the misery. We see the mockery of a captured Christian. Look at verse 2. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, by that river. Verse 3, for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And that that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Can you imagine the Babylonians looking at the people of Israel, this nation that had marched out of that of God would use to bring to the knees the greatest power on earth, Egypt. This people that he would bring through the wilderness and through the Red Sea and the Jordan River, whose word went out before them. This people, for when they marched and when they prayed, the walls of Jericho fell and people ran and fled. This one who King David would walk down and kill a Goliath with a smooth stone. Where are you now? Christian Where are you now? In the same muck and worse than we are. The mockery. I was thinking of the scripture, Proverbs twenty five, twenty six. A righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain in a corrupt spring. John fifteen nineteen, if you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Let me remind you, friend, the world is not a friend of God. And it's not a friend of anybody who is a friend of God. They will enjoy it when you fall. They will mock it. God really wasn't that good, was he? Shame. It is brought to the name of Christ when a Christian chooses to be captured by sin. They would mock it. Where's your song now, Christian? You're the salt of the earth, and the salt of lost its savor. Wherewith shall it be salted? that is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden to the foot of men? Salt that's lost its savor. Salt that's lost its savor because of sin. God just pulls it back and lets us get a glimpse of the sad realities of the Christian, the people, the misery of sin, the, the, the memories of what God used to do because we far from him and that's what we cling to, the, this reality here of the mockery of the world, how much the world loves it when the people of God become just like them. Proving that God really isn't as great as his people said he was. The mockery. You see the mockery of a captured Christian. Look at this, the song of a captured Christian. Verse 4, he says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They didn't have anything to sing anyway. They would mock them and say, Sing us some of the songs of Zion. And they'd say, What song? It's long gone. (laughs) Psalms 32, 7 says, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. Psalms 100, 1 through 5. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord is is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There ought to be a song on the heart of a Christian, shouldn't there? There ought to be a song on the heart. I, if it's a joyful noise, it ought to be a joyful noise. But there should be a song in the heart of a Christian. Why? Because there's someone who's living in there that's given us a song. Something that's moving us to a place of rejoicing in the Lord when we're, we're near his presence and our hearts are clean and we're right with God and we've, we've allowed him to search our heart and to try us and we know that we're in right standing with God that produces a song in our heart that makes us want to sing and rejoice and praise the Lord. Their song was gone. No song to sing. No song. What's sad when the people of God lose the song? Matter of fact, the only hope that person has is to sing the songs of Babylon. Unfortunately, that's often what happens. When we've gotten far from God, rather than singing the songs of Zion, we sing the songs of Babylon. And we try to recreate the songs of Babylon to remind us of Zion. Well, I've seen some supposed Christian musicians and I watched, watched them and I thought, if you think that's what's happening around the throne of grace, you're confused. If you think that's what's happening in glory, there's a problem. When you're emulating a rapper, a rock and roll artist and throwing Jesus name in it and thinking that's what's happened at the throne of grace you are sorely confused the same songs that are sung about sex drugs and all its filth you don't just change the words and put Jesus in it and think it's pleasing to god i'm sorry there's a difference and when we walk in the spirit friend you won't need anybody to point that out because there'll be something inside of you that says you know this doesn't match This doesn't match. They had lost it. It was gone. Here was this people that, boy, to march in silence around the walls of Jericho and then to shout and see its walls fall to see the tabernacle go up and the choirs sing around the tabernacle. Those folks that would see Solomon's temple built and all of its glory as the Shekinah glory of God came and dwelt in its temple and the the choirs that would sing, the congregation that would sing, the, the musicians that would play and lift its voices up and praise God. And now they're in captivity and the Babylonians would mock them and say, sing your song of Zion here, you defeated Israelite. But even if they... Wanted to, they couldn't because they had no song to sing any longer. Why? They were captured and defeated by sin. I think, boy, there's an incredible warning for you and I as a Christian. I'm so thankful I had the incredible privilege of growing up in a Christian home. How many grew up in a Christian home? You grew up in a Christian home. How many, your hand, how many did not grow up in a Christian home? For those of us who grow up in a Christian home, you and I were spared seeing a lot of the ugliness of sin. And the lure is, let's go out there and test it and see if it's as bad as everybody said. Or, oh, you tell me why. When in reality, some of those folks who are in it, will tell you, get as far away from it as you can. Get as far away from it as you can. Because it is, it will capture you. It will defeat you. You will lose your song, have its misery, and look back and say, look what used to be. Look what used to be. Captured people. The thing that's so wonderful about this chapter, not highlighted as much as in Jeremiah, the Lord said 70 years. Though he chastened his people... He did not abandon his people. Amen. Though he chastened them and allowed Nebuchadnezzar to be his servant and take them on the way into Babylon, God did not abandon his people. And I'm thankful for a God who never abandons his people. Amen and you can be chased, You can allow yourself to go into sin and God will let you lose your, your joy and your mirth and your, he'll let you go into misery and only have the memories and he'll let you lose your song, but all with the point that you would repent and get it back again. He sent him for 70 years into captivity, but he didn't leave him there. I think we see a little bit in this passage scripture. And I just want to highlight some few things that the escape of a captured Christian in verses five through nine. I think the first thing we see is a change of mind. Look at verses five and six. Notice what he says. If I forget thee, what's well, something he would do with his mind. O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Notice the, the change that was taking place. Here he is sitting down by the river of Babylon. He's in misery. He's mocked. He's only can look back and he said, but I tell you what I'm doing. I know it's 70 years because that's what Jeremiah proph- prophesied. I am not going to forget where I'm going to be soon. There's a change of mind. He didn't decide to stay and live in Babylon. Some would, by the way. Some of them, when they were allowed to go free, would choose to remain in Babylon. They would just sit so comfortable there, they'd stay there. But others would return. There was a change of, of mind. Second Corinthians 10, 4-6, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Boy, there's a change of the mind I like how he says in that verse, If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. That was a matter of priority, right? He said, I'm going to get in agreement with God. Psalms 51, David, after a sin with Bathsheba and confronted by Nathan the prophet, would say these words, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness." According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before thee. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. You know the first thing David had to do with agree with God on the sin. A change of mind. I acknowledge my sin. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. It's not that he hadn't done Uriah wrong, but the reason what he did to Uriah was wrong was because it was first wrong with God. The reason it was wrong what he had done with Bathsheba is because it was first wrong with God. (laughs) And David had to come to a place of getting an agreement with God on what sin was and what right was and what wrong was. There was a change of mind. These people by the river of Babylon had to get in a place where they recognized we had been given the land, the law, and the Lord, and we rejected it. And I want that back and not this. You know, the way back is when we change our mind and we decide, I am going to get in agreement with God. I'm not going to argue with him on what's right and wrong. I'm going to agree with him on what is right and wrong. And I will tell you this, as long as we debate with God, the realities of what is right and wrong will remain in our misery and our memories without our song. We must first come to a place where we say, he is right and I am wrong. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. We see that there was an agreement here. Then we see this, not only a change of mind, but a but a call from the heart. Look at verse 7. Lifted, you can hear him lifting his voice up. Remember, O Lord, the children of Eden in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. He, Lord, he reminded them, he called out to God, and of course he asked for God to deal with Edom that had... Praised in d- the destruction of Jerusalem and called in Babylon, but he lifted his voice up and he cried out. Remember, O Lord. There is a change of mind that produces a call of the heart. That's the same thing that saves a man, isn't it? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the what mouth confession is made unto sal- sal- salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, it's a faith that produces a call that saves a man. It's a faith in God and a turning from self and sin that lifts up a voice of a call to save. People say, when does a man get saved? Does he get saved when he's in his seat or when he gets down here to the aisle or when does he get saved? He gets saved when he has enough faith to make the call. Get out of his seat and come down and pray or to lift his voice up right there when there is enough faith that produces a call of the heart is when a man is saved. When is a man right with God? When he sees he's wrong, recognizes he's wrong, and produces a call. Dear God, I am wrong. Forgive me. Is there a perfect word? No, but there's a perfect condition of the heart. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise Call of the heart. Recognition of sin. I, I think this when we get far from God, that place when we come back to God by saying, Lord, I I have decided something. You're right. I'm wrong. Dear God, forgive. And then we see this a casting down of sin. Look at the verses eight and nine again. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stone. A complete destruction of Babylon and the world. He said, this one's got to fall. 2 Timothy 2, 19-22. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but of, of also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore will purge himself from these, if he shall be a vessel unto others, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work, flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Saying, I don't want it anymore. What happens too many times in our culture is we We try to walk a line with God. Friend, God called you out. When God saved you, he called you out. He made you his. He sanctified you and set you apart and made you his child. There is no room in you for sin. There is no sin that God finds acceptable. There's none. There's nothing that God says, well, you allow that to keep it in your heart. He goes, no, you're mine. You belong to me. Uh, you've been bought with a price. You're meant to be a vessel unto honor, meet for the master's use. And he says, I want you to leave the sin and I want you to turn to the Lord. He goes, a, a change of mind that produces a call and leads us to a place of sin has got to go. It has got to go. I am going to root it out, pull it out. And not allow any of it in my life. And as long as you allow it to grow in the back. Some level of misery will be present. Lust when it hath conceived bringeth forth sin. And sin when it is finished bringeth forth what? That there is no sin that doesn't bring forth destruction of some kind. None. The nature of sin is that it destroys. When that God told Adam, you don't eat of that tree. It's the day that ye eat of it, thou shalt surely die. And talk about if you wanted to qualify sin, the most minor of sins. Adam didn't kill Eve. That's not what he did. He didn't go start destroying all that God gave him. Eve didn't do that. You know what she did? She plucked a little piece of fruit off a tree in disobedience to God and took a bite. What we would say is the most minor... Sins. Your child, don't touch the cookie. They reach up and they eat the cookie. What we might say the most smallest of things was the sin that destroyed the world. That was the one. What followed was the reaping from the most smallest of what we might say sin. As man decided to disobey his God, that he knew better, he would discern good from evil. He would know it. He would decide what was true and what was right. And he ate of the tree and separated himself from God. Sin does that. I know what's going to be good and what isn't. I will determine it. And it brings a Christian ultimately to a place of misery. Misery. Where it's memories of what once was. Do you remember when your heart burned within you as you opened up the scripture. As you turned its pages and God spoke to your heart. As you heard its word and your heart was touched. A heart that was tender and open to God. And instead they had memories. Not realities of it present in their life. And they grew that, that misery, that, that memory, that mockery I've had friends who have gone into sin and their life became a mockery. The world welcomed them only so far as they could mock their God to say he really wasn't all that great, was he? The only reason you're here, I think so many times, what the Christian's world is trying to do is imitate the world. And the world knows it. You're just copycatting us and putting his name in it. God says, no. The misery, the mockery, the memories, the heartache. And then we see God offer a way of escape. Change of mind. A change of mind. I'm going to come to the place where this book settles everything. And what he says is true, and that's sufficient for me. When I disagree... I'll just say, well, I'll obey and I'll agree. Even though I don't like it, I'm going to agree and obey. And until my heart is right, I'll walk in obedience. To trust him, to follow him, to have a call of the heart that produces a brokenness in us. When's the last time you called out of God in brokenness? When's the last time you truly allowed God to search your heart? To see if there was any wicked way in you. So many times we don't even open our heart to him to search, to examine, to look closely, and then to say, Lord, I'm sorry. And that call of God, and then that decision that we make, I'm walking in what is true, what is right, and I'm living for God. The world doesn't care for that in the life of a Christian. They'll mock you. They'll criticize you, tell you to come like them, and be like them. And a reality, friend. Babylon is a miserable place for a Christian. The only good place for God's people is Zion. In the presence of God, drawing nigh to God, cleansing your hands, ye sinners, purifying your hearts, ye double-minded, lifting up the Lord, walking pure before the Lord, examining our hearts and making sure we are right with God. That is the only place worthy of a child of God. The only place. Babylon has nothing to offer. But misery and memories for the Christian who looks back and says, oh, but I wish I was back there again. Lord, let's pray. Let's pray again. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for the privilege of being in church. I know it's a little bit different message for a Wednesday night and Lord, but it is the one you had. And Lord, I pray that we would do a searching of our heart. Maybe there's someone here tonight. It was just a warning for they sit on the brink of some serious decision to be made and I pray they'd make a decision for the Lord. Maybe someone who has looking back and saying, I wish it was like it was. Maybe there just needs to be an examination of the heart or maybe just this matter of guarding our hearts. So many times we take for granted what we have in the Lord and I pray that our hearts would be guarded, that we wouldn't allow our relationship with the Lord to be compromised by our relationship with this world but that we would stay near to our Lord. Heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you could say tonight, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. That's a settled thing for me. I'm on my way to heaven and I know it. If that's your testimony, raise your hand, would you? Would you raise your hand. Thank you. you. may put your hand down. And I trusted Christ on a Wednesday night, church kid, preacher's kid. and So I won't take for granted that you are tonight. And is there anybody here tonight that say, Preacher, I'm unsure of my salvation? Maybe you know the gospel story, but you're unsure of it. You say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I'd like to know Christ as my Savior. If there's anybody like that. Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you say, preach the Lord has spoken in my heart? Maybe it's a matter of guarding your heart. Maybe it's just been a while since you've just opened up your heart to God. Got alone with him in his word and just said, Lord, search me today. Is there something that could keep me from knowing the joy of the Lord? Or maybe you're in that place of misery that place of misery robbing you of that wonder wonder of a close relationship with god but if you'd say tonight hey preacher the lord has spoken in my heart this evening would you raise your hand as a testimony and would you stand with me as the pianist begin to play as god has spoken your heart and just do business with him i don't know what it may be that's between you and the lord but maybe just a matter of saying lord i here i am tonight i i want you to know lord if, if there's something between you and i i want to know what it is i want to search it out and make it right I want to stay near to the Lord, not far. Statement I heard a long time ago is keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts. Don't keep a running balance with God on things that you haven't made right. The reality of being a person is that we are sinners and we tend to do wrong. Keep short accounts with God. But as the Lord has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord tonight.